TNTM The Show presents New Mexico Comic Expo Good and Bad of Marvel Panel. This is actually another time where Roy started a story and I had to finish it. And most of the time, I love doing that, you know, because I get to read solid story. This was Lynn Carter's Thongor. I just buy the Thongor. Thongor was, I mean, he's like a bargain basement Conan, and I never liked Lynn Carter's writing. And and I have to, uh, you know, it's, it's based on, I think George Alec Eppinger had either been writing it or whatever. A young science fiction writer. Young science fiction. So I had to finish this story. And and if you read it closely, I've got Thonger whining a lot. So <laughs> I really despise the character. The worst part of that, though, is that because I had dialogue, you know, part of this story, after that, they kept handing me new Thonger <laughs> to proofread. <laughs> so my my, what I thought was going to be like a quick and unpleasant association with Lynn Carter's character ended up lasting for months. Well, luckily, Thongor didn't last much. No, that's true. Months. That's true. I, I always wonder if we had been lucky enough that Lynn Carter's agent back in 1970 had not said, you're offering 150 bucks an issue to do this character, that, uh, uh, that we would have got him. I, I don't know if he would have lasted as long as Conan did, so maybe no, we were no. lucky that uh, Lynn Carter was no, I mean, saying he wanted like 500. He says, well, that's very basic. Our publisher if, is cheap. He ain't going to pay it. You know? If you're talking barbarian characters of comics, you got Conan, yeah. and then Gru, and then... <laughs> well, Gru wasn't right. Maybe, maybe Conan, and Red Sonja, Cole, and then... Cole, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, the Howard character. Yeah, the Howard. And, and then you have, at the bottom of the thing, yeah. Thonger. I mean, yeah. he, DC did some lame sword and sorcery things. And, and What's funny is, it's funny is I kind of like Thongor. The first read, the first sword torture novel I ever read was not Conan, it was a Lynn Carter Thongor. I was aware of the fact that it wasn't, you know, great stuff. It was sort of half Conan and a little bit of John Carter, yeah. and I sort of liked that aspect. So, and I thought, well, besides a comic book, you're going to have the same artist draw it. That's going to make a lot of difference. Whether it's Conan or Thongor, it's going to be drawn by a different artist. It'll be written. It's not going to be drawn by Lynn Carter. So. Uh, you know, and the, and the reason we, we went for Thongor at first, when I mentioned these various names, is Stan, we mentioned names like Conan, but we thought he might be out of our way, you know, because yeah. that was selling quite well. And there was Call, there was one book, but he was the same creator. And then there was Thongor, maybe one or two others. And Stan said, I like that name, Thongor. You know, he liked it. That was a good comic book name. And his second choice of the three was Call. Conan was down there because a C at the beginning of a word, you know, it's weaker compared to a K or a Gore thing, you know, so he was going strictly on the sound of the name as opposed to the character. We were really lucky that Lynn Carter's agent kept stalling and stalling. And so one night, I picked up the latest Conan book had just come out with its presented cover, uh, the uh, one uh, that uh, Conan of Samaria that, uh, that had the um, Frost Giant's daughter that had the cover of that. And I saw that the illustrated camp and the introduction given the address, the name and the address of the agent, the literary agent for the Robert Yower estate. But I didn't need a house to follow me. Yeah. And this is the guy you go to if you want to talk. So I just wrote him a letter, offered him a little more money than I was authorized to do. He got out of that later. And uh, you know, and the next thing I, I said, well, you know, we can't offer you much money, but it might widen your audience a little bit. Considering it, it helped get the movies made and everything, yeah, I did widen the yeah. audience. 
And so they accepted it. And then I was stuck because I had offered $50 too much. To, and I knew that my, my ultra cheap publisher was gonna, you know, might want that back. I was gonna have Jerry Conway or somebody write the book because I wasn't a big sword and sorcery fan. But then I thought, I better write it myself because then, you know, I was gonna get 20 or so bucks a page. At least, you know, if he complained, I could write a couple of bucks pages for free rather than someone else. And that's how I sort of backed into writing five billion pages. <laughs> if, uh, if, if, I hadn't, if, if I hadn't worried about Goodman, uh, Jerry Conway would have probably <laughs> done all that. And leading to Goodman, every time Roy has a panel, he's on with another legend. I always ask the legend of what I'm going to tell you, Tony, Martin Goodman. What do you remember of the big MG. I, I met, I think Martin might have already been gone for a while. I started at Marvel on Halloween 1972, and I'm not sure Goodman, it, I'm not sure if Goodman's around. Halloween 72? November 72. Well, Stan was publisher by then. So Goodman, so Goodman was all. Oh, yeah, but, but then when, yeah. when, when. But that was always Atlas. When, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, and I actually did a few things for Atlas, and that's where I met, you know, I met Chip and I met Martin. And uh, I'd gone over there because Larry Lieber was editing there, and Larry was a good friend. Uh, and what was your impression of him? Because there's a lot of legends. You know, I didn't did talk to Martin that that much. Uh, they were they were also publishing Stag or some other, you know, men's magazine. They bought Swank. Swank was that it? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it was just they had some. And and Chip indicated that I could meet some of the the models. Uh, that were in this magazine, and I already knew enough about the business, and so they, they were buying these photographs from Europe and just making up stories about about the women. That was a, a common thing for the for these men's magazines. Um, but it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> I was dating. You know, I, I had a girlfriend at that point. I was dating, you know, and and even if I hadn't been, you know, I I don't work for you know. For sexual favors, <laughs> I, I had a there was a B, not even a B movie actress. She was she was best known for being a, a regular clue in Jimmy Guy crossword puzzles, <laughs> and she somehow thought that because I you know created Tiger with other people, but I was the writer. She somehow thought that I owned Tiger. And she wanted me to write a Tiger movie script for her. That's Tiger the Werewoman for those of yes. the uninitiated. And we, I knew at the time that werewoman made no sense because you know it's man woman and she wasn't a man woman she was a cat woman but uh, it sounded good I guess but so she sent me she sent me a box like this filled with photographs of her many of them nude uh, calls me up you know tell tells me how much she admires my writing and I'm sure she didn't know anything about my writing and and you know she said I want you to write this screenplay you know for a Tiger movie that I would star in. I go, well, how much does it pay? And she kept diverting from that, like, well, you know, you can come and stay with me in, in Hollywood, you know, while, while you're working on the movie. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I really, you know, I, I was living in Cleveland at this point again. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm here and everything. And I, and I actually was, was dating my future wife at the time. And she goes, well, you know, my house is very small. We probably have to share a bed. <laughs> And I'm suddenly realizing this actress is so stupid she wants to sleep with the writer. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna come to the <laughs> But but you know, I, I told her, well, you're gonna have to talk to Marvel, they own the character, knowing full well. This is after Roy was no longer editor in chief, 
that if they did go to Marvel, that the current editors of Marvel would have grabbed that. You know, if there was any legitimacy to this doing a Tiger movie, they would have grabbed bringing it themselves. Um, but yeah, that was, again, so many interesting things happened at Marvel. I didn't know any of these. You know, you, you were in, in, I think you might have even been in California still. Well, I, I moved out there in the middle of 76. I don't okay. still been hanging around. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we didn't see each other every no, day. No, no, I came the in the time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that's another story, like Roy being out in uh, California kind of inspired Stan to go out there, right, Roy? Uh, Stan, no, Stan wanted to go somewhere anyway. I remember one night in 74, so not too long before I, uh, you know, left the job that uh, Carla Conway, Jerry's wife was the secretary there, and she and I were sitting around about, Stan usually left right away too, but for some reason, 5, 30, 6 o'clock, we were still both there, and we were all just talking, and I was fooling around with something, and uh, Stan came in, and he started kind of, you know, spitballing, and started talking about it, and suddenly he says, you know, Crack Magazine down in Florida. He says, you know, I was thinking about this. You think if I, if I took Marvel down to Florida, you know, you think the staff would all come with me? <laughs> I wasn't sure I would come with him. I didn't want to move to Florida. But uh, so he wanted to get out. And I think, you know, and then of course he saw other people. And Jack had moved there while he was still there. And there were a few writers. And then I did. And, you know, I, used to, I saw him a few times when he came out and so forth, you know, and uh, other people. I think it sort of put the beat in his bottom. But he was, you know, he was a lifelong New Yorker. And he sort of wanted to get out. And finally he found an excuse to do it. I, I think I don't think I was I don't think I ever inspired anything to stay at Sam was a pretty much a self starter. You know? <laughs> the only thing I did with Sam was get out of his way. All right, so toward the end there, so Tony, when did you feel that your time at Marvel was at an end at that time? Um, well, it was a weird thing because the, the guys who followed Roy were and and are, although one of them has passed, were dear friends of mine. Somehow, when they got those jobs. They started looking at me as a rival instead of an asset, and and they, you know, it, it's why I eventually went to DC because Marvel just wasn't fun anymore. Uh, you know, with Roy, I mean, it was, I was like, a fun, wild, and crazy guy. Once, once you showed, once you showed Roy what you could do, Roy trusted you. When I was writing various comics, I had to tell Roy that there was a cover scene who the villain was, and if I was going to kill somebody off. That's all Roy ever wanted to know, because he'd seen my work and, and had confidence in me. Uh, he wasn't second-guessing me. Um, and he was, you know, he gave me all sorts of great opportunities, like adapting uh, The Drifting Snow by August Derleth, uh, adapting uh, the, the Slow Glass stories by Bob Shaw. Uh, and so, you know, that was a really great setup for me. I, I was working with an editor that I knew respected me, who I, you know, had learned a lot from and respected. And then the new guys come in, and all of a sudden they're looking at me like I'm a rival. And I actually, that's why I moved back to Cleveland. I figured if I move back to Cleveland, they won't feel threatened by me, and we can get back to a normal relationship. But that didn't happen either. So Roy, Roy had been asked to come back. And he, Roy and I had talked about, you know, if he came back, would I come back to, to be like his assistant? And I think I agreed to that. I had moved back up, I had gone back up to New York just to see what's going on. Roy turned down the job. Well, I accepted uh, it. He, he accepted it and then turned it down. You know, I, I, was, I was staying with friends in New York and, and Jerry, Jerry Conway became the new editor. 
he, his tenure was like three weeks. Like three seconds. And, and what happened was Jerry had offered me a tremendous amount of work, thinking that there were writers he could let go, people he considered rivals. And he found out they had contracts that he couldn't. So after offering, he offered me 100 pages of work a month, which was more than I wanted to do. At the same time, DC had a new publisher, and DC had offered me, uh, at the time, a page rate increase, writing books like Batman and Justice League, and creating new characters for them. And I looked at Marvel, and I said, Marvel's always gonna be chaos. There's nobody around at Marvel that, that can make this not chaos. And I thought of the people at DC that I knew, like, like Murray Boltonoff and Julie Schwartz and people like that, that, that I could work with. And, and I said, so I took the job offer from DC and told them, don't, you know, don't announce this. I, I, I owe it to Jerry to tell Jerry face to face that I'm not taking a disagreement. Well, I come into the office, I let Jerry talk first and he fires me. <laughs> and, and tells me how, 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 how much he, he appreciates that I'm not taking Can I ask a question? Is this an hour panel? Okay, so we got till seven o'clock, 20 minutes. Okay, okay. thanks. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so I'm going over to, to I'm walking, I know I have the DC job, so I'm not that upset with Jerry. Uh, I mean, it still hurt to be fired, but I understood what was going on. I walk over to DC, I stop for lunch. Jerry, thinking he's doing me a great turn, has called up Sal Harrison to tell Sal that he hadn't let me go, but had nothing to do with my work, it was because he was contractually obligated to all these other writers, and that if I came to DC, Sal should hire me right away. Well, what Sal did was decide that the deal that I had agreed to was no longer applicable. Batman was off the table, Justice League was off the table, they cut my page rate to two, two pages less than the marble rate I was getting. Um, and that just started a long history of, of DC not keeping agreements with me. <laughs> but but we only have an hour, so we can't we can't go into all that. Stop on my table. I'll do some dirt. Oh man, you kept going from that. Uh, Jerry, did Jerry? So I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. It just that they annoyed me yesterday yeah. when they came in with 20 minutes left. The sign was like, like five minutes. So but so when when Jerry did it, he did he know you were. He but he wasn't doing no, it because he knew you were it was just because no, of the contractual thing. Yeah, it was because of the contractual thing. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry needed yeah. pages. Because I didn't think he had anything against you. No, yeah. no, he didn't. Jerry, yeah. Jerry and I are friends, yeah. and, and we've always gotten along. It was that he didn't have yeah. the pages he thought he had for Because Marvin, Marvin left with, and he had a contract. Marvin had, left 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 had a contract. Uh, and uh, Len, and Len, Len and he had a contract. And there were so many books. And there was also that Jerry needed a lot of writing for himself. So right. But you know, it's a, and he tried to do me a good turn. But you know, you know, you don't go to Sal Harrison <laughs> and have him do somebody a good turn. Sal Harrison, good turn. That's if, you, you like Sal, didn't you? Like no, Saul. no, no, I did not like Sal Harrison. Sal Harrison, Sal Brodsky. Sal Brodsky, I love. Sal Harrison, I used to have screaming matches with him because he he would introduce me to people as our black writer. That, is that how you got the book? <laughs> no, no, because I had already created Black Lightning. Yeah. I had already made an agreement. It was a partnership agreement, which of course they didn't keep. But but Sal would call. I, I was. They asked me to come on board as an editor, 
And the day I started, they told me I was a story editor and couldn't talk to artists. Uh, oh I don't know how to do comics without talking to artists. Yeah. Oh my God. But, uh, but yeah, we used to have screaming matches because his whole concept of Black Lightning was that we could sell toys to little black children. <laughs> and he'd come to me, I'd, I'd do the street level character, and he'd say things like, we, you know, we need a Black Lightning car, a Black Lightning plane. Uh, and I'm going, oh yeah, I can see it now, Sal. He pulls up in his Black Lightning car, he busts the drug dealers, he comes out, the car's up on blocks. <laughs> he gets so pissed, he gets in his Black Lightning plane and he strafes the neighborhood. No, but what I meant was, Baby Saul, it's that word getting around is why you ended up listed in one book as, as being an African American. Oh, yeah. as, what was that, that book? Uh, Comic Book Nation. Comic Book right. Nation. And I, because I remember I wrote him a letter. I said, you know, Tony Isabella is, he writes a very nice comic, but he wrote Black Goliath and for Marvel, he writes Black Lightning, but he's not technically black. Yeah, he did correct it in the paperback edition. I, I wouldn't give him anything <laughs> to see the guy's face when he oh, got him. And you have to understand, I mean, I've always been very comfortable writing black characters, and the black comics community has always been very accepting. Almost every year I go to the East Coast Black Age of Comics Convention, and their poster is like set up Brady Bunch style. And it looks like the black Brady Bunch and Alice. <laughs> and, uh, and, Lovely people who, who have always supported my work and been appreciative of my work. But yeah, I mean, that could be it. Yeah, I just wondered if there was a connection because, you know. Yeah, you kept getting these, uh, you kept getting like things thrown at you. Now, I, ha I always had a question for personally, like Black Vulcan on the Super Friends. Can you talk about. Not without swearing. I, 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 will, I will endeavor not to swear. My agreement with DC called for me to get a percentage of anything they got from Black Lightning outside of the comic books. So Hanna-Barbera wanted to use Black Lightning, and that, I, let's say there were 10 DC characters in Super Friends. I would have gotten one-tenth of what DC got. Well, actually, no, I would have gotten 10, 20% of one-tenth of what DC <laughs> got. DC didn't want to pay me out of their cut, which they were obligated to do, and told Hanna-Barbera Hanna that they had to pay extra for Black Lightning. And Hanna-Barbera said, no, we're just gonna steal the character. And DC let him get away with it. I had been told Black Lightning would be on Super Friends. I watched the first episode. Oh my God, you like, that's no, when you found that's out? When I found out that, you wait a minute. Tell him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh my God. But yeah, God. That, that's the Black Vulcan story. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> It's even worse than you imagined. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you ended up creating Black Goliath and Black Lightning and Black Vulcan. I think it no, oh, you, inspired Black. Yeah. You, you didn't do Black Panther too, did you? No, I didn't do Black Panther. I mean, it would have broken Don's heart. So, so, but, but what? Like, you had to have gotten on the phone, or did you just sit there like, like? I wrote, uh, I wrote my last Black Lightning story of the seventies. It was a story called The Other Black Lightning. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where a, a con artist named Barbara Hanna was, was traveling the country with a phony black lightning. Uh, and Joe Orlando knew exactly what I was doing, and Joe was all for it. But by that time, you know, it's just like, how many times can they break your, their agreements with you? And so I just, I quit Black Lightning, I quit DC. Uh, was I bought, that story published? I, I didn't know. 
the black <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. That's um, terrible. Oh my god. Because yeah. 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 they stole a lot of stuff or had it over there. Yeah, well they were they were cheap. They were cheap. Wait, I'm just doing this for me right here. I didn't know it would happen. Oh yeah. Okay guys, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take uh, questions from the audience. Uh, please just raise your hand and I'll pick it. You can, it can be for both of them or you can ask either one. If anyone's got some questions that they want to ask Tony to. Well, let's give a round of applause for the Sunshine boys here. <laughs> get Dr. Phil here. We got a, anyone got any questions? Come on, come on. I got a lot of Tony. Um, you were talking about how you uh, the guy wanted you to build a car and a plane for Black Lightning. Did you not know he was a school teacher and you'd have to write like four issues about how he had to pay these credit card bills on cars that he kept wrecking? Oh, I, you know, I never got, I, we were shouting too loudly for me to explain to him. You know, I tried to explain to him why it wouldn't work, but, but Sal just didn't get it. Funny thing is, next time I wrote Black Lightning, um, he, he is uh, living in, in Cleveland, although we didn't call it Cleveland. It's in 19, 1995, and his ex-wife uh, is visiting him, and he takes her down to the basement of this gym where he's bought the whole building, um, and, and you know he's got like things scattered around that he uses the black lightning. She goes, what is this, the black cave? Uh, and, and, he, and she says, what are these? I said, oh, you know, Batman sent me designs for a car. I'm not going to use it. <laughs> well, you know, Spider-Man had Spider-Mobile. Jerry had to deal with so he kept having things go wrong with it and so forth, which I'm sure the toy people liked. Yeah. He just made fun of it. But it was a natural thing, though, for, for companies who want to make a little money. You know, and if, if they make enough money, they'll even maybe give the writer a little tiny piece of it. Well, see, no, actually, you know, I have a, I have a new agreement with DC, and and uh, I can't go into all the details, but they have definitely honored the financial aspects of, of this agreement. You want a piece of black Vulcan too? No, I do not. <laughs> Can I? Do you own any of the CDs of the Super Friends or anything like that? No, I don't. But I really need to get those at some point. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, now well, because. Um, uh, Eventually, when I when I pass, which won't be for a good 50, 60 years, all my my archives, my Black Lightning related archives, will be donated to a Black university. And so I'm trying to amass, you know, if there's Black Lightning toys out there, I get them and stuff like that, so that when I give this collection to uh, to the university, it'll be as complete a Black Lightning collection as I can I can manage. Yeah, see, what people don't understand is a lot of this stuff still goes on today. And the, the thing that that, that, that company, that, that world you guys work for, those those people didn't, they were just, they just thought they were just churning out this stuff. But like, these guys defined all of us, you know, they made it goes, our childhood. It goes way back because uh, this will come out like in, in Alter Ego for until uh, um, the end of the last issue for this year. But, but I mean, they. You know, they're, they're, they trace back a lot of stuff that seems to indicate, for example, and I'll, I won't go into the details, but that, that they developed a policy. Uh, Whit Ellsworth, who was one of the original uh, editors, main editors for a long time there at, uh, at DC, that, uh, and I think Mort Wiseman must got this idea from him because he did it later, was that he would sort of, they would, they would put out 
things of, of feelers and say, can you make, make up a superhero? This is about 41, superheroes were kind of exploding. Make up a superhero, bring the idea in, and so forth, we'll see what we'll do. And, and, and this strange thing started happening. One guy brings in an idea for a, a, a costume hero called the vigilante. And they say, well, we don't like this, but they give him something else. Then all of a sudden, another artist is given an idea to do a cowboy character called the vigilante, with that because they like the name. And another guy, two different guys, one guy made up a guy called Tarantula, who is a spider guy. He's even called the Spider-Man a couple of panels. And they didn't like that, but they gave him a character called Airway and so forth, who is a, a, another superhero. And But all of a sudden, next thing you know, somebody else is drawing a character called Tarantula, who looks very much like the other character. Uh, another guy, a guy who drew a character called Star Spangled Kid, created by Jerry Siegel, uh, he swore, and, but he didn't have the art anymore, and, but he said he tried to do things about that, that he had brought to Whit Ellsworth an idea for a character called Wonder Woman. And uh, uh, no, no art that he, could, he couldn't remember what it looked like, he had no pictures, but that uh, they, still, they sort of patted him on the head, and they said no, but they gave him the Star Spangled Kid. And the next thing you know, uh, he, he finds that he hears people talking about, you know, he hears Wynn Ellsworth and somebody talking about Wonder Woman, which was actually at the, at the, the uh, sister company downtown, All-American Company, as it got transferred. Uh, now, now, somebody else wrote it and made it up, and that's mean that those guys stole. It doesn't mean that Richard, that Moulton, Marston, you know, stole Wonder Woman. It means that DC, the DC editor probably stole her. But it, the evidence that this guy, Will Murray, was a really good writer for, for fan mag magazines, uh, is put together shows that this was just a policy, which is the same thing that led to part, probably Mort Weisner later, who would take an idea from one writer and say, boy, that's the crappiest idea I've ever heard, but here's a great idea I had yesterday. And then he would take the other writer's idea, take it to another writer, and, and say, oh, this idea you brought is no good, but here's an idea from me that's a really good idea. And the amazing thing is not so much that he did this for years and years and years, but that he actually thought his, his pool of five or six writers wouldn't figure it out in about 35 minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he would be laughed at, hated, loathed for the remainder of his career, you know, so that uh, nobody would want to go to his funeral. <laughs> but I think he, at Mort, who had just come over from Pulp Magazine, the interesting thing is this happened with all these characters, uh, and, and most of these first stories for most of those characters ended up being written by, wait for it, Mort Weisinger. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I always thought Mort Weisinger created all these characters in a sense he did, but it sounds like they handed him the name and sometimes part of the concept to write, and then he just became the guy who did it. And uh, so maybe, I was wondering, why does Kai come in and suddenly have 40 ideas for characters <laughs> the next day? Well, he didn't. You know, a bunch of guys brought him in and they were just funneled to it. But, you know, the business has changed. Uh, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're more sophisticated about it. There's room for improvement, but the sad history of the com and, and things have gotten better, but the sad history of the comics industry is a history of, of creators being screwed over by publishers, editors, and even other creators. Um, and that that's our history. Yeah. Of course, of course that, now if you stick around for another few minutes, they're having a publisher's panel later, and the publishers are going to come here, here and sit down and tell you how the publishers are being screwed over by the writers <laughs> and the artists and so forth, and that's the sad story of the business. Oh my god, yeah. But, but don't get us wrong, we love show business. Well, I remember when you started to see a transition where artists finally were like, okay, we're going to start getting some royalties and stuff. When did that start to happen for writers, or has it ever happened? Yeah. Pretty much the same time. Yeah, right? they, they did it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, they did it pretty well at the same time. The writers just, you know, got less because the artists spent more time on the 
money. Sometimes the writers came out better in some areas compared to artists. Sometimes they came out, you know, worse. But no, it, it was all the same. Well, I just got to say thanks to you guys. You gave us a lot of Absolutely. That's what we're happy to be employed. We made a living wage. And, you know, with all the complaints and all the things, you know, no, nobody ever shackled us to our desks. No, maybe no, Tony. I don't know. Maybe he's at desk. <laughs> but nobody shackled us to a desk. So you got to stay in the comic industry even if they're teaching you bad. It wasn't like the, it wasn't as bad as some of the guys that came up at the end of the Depression, and, you know, and, and, and they really just had no choice. Most of us, you know, I could have always, you know, gone back into teaching and probably wouldn't have killed myself for a couple of months. And Tony could have gone back and, you know, try and, and set a river on fire to, to read <laughs> the paper. Run for mayor of Cleveland. Yeah, you know? I actually worked on Dennis Kucinich's first campaign yeah. when he was a city running for city yeah. council. I was like 13 at the time. But we had, we had fun in comics. We had fun, yeah. yeah. I love comics. Uh, they say comics will, will break your heart, and I'm not going to tell you that there haven't been painful moments. But nobody's ever been able to kill my love of the comics themselves or the love of making them. Um, and I, I basically, if I have to go, I want to go at my keyboard writing a, writing a comic book story. You probably will. <laughs> and then my cat will eat me, which is also okay for me, because that's your know, circle of life and everything. Yeah, right. Okay. Any more questions? Just got a couple minutes. Got a couple minutes? Okay. Done? All right. Well, I'll, 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 it's like at least we can say, yeah, we thank them and stuff. But now that all your characters are on TV, in the movies, all this stuff, how does that make you feel, though? I feel like Tony gets more money than I do. You guys are survivors. You guys are survivors. show. But the thing is, Black Lightning has not been life changing money. <laughs> but what has been life changing is the way, you know, so much of me is in that TV show. And the love and respect I get from everyone that works on that TV show. Uh, you know, the, the showrunners, the writers, the, the cast, the crew. Um, I was on the set and I must have had 200 people thank me for their jobs. Uh, you know, I've become close friends with several cast members. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted me to do a cameo. And, and the only thing they had was like a, a prison guard for a for a high security metahuman federal prison and they're going around saying can we get you know costuming to to make a, a prison guard uniform that fits tony and and i was the one who said guys i'm too short to be a stormtrooper there's no way you could there's nothing you could do to a security guard to a guard uniform that won't make me look out of place in this scene but i will back in the third but, season to do a game. But the nice, the nice thing is, though, that you, you know, since I'm since in the Daredevil uh, thing, right. I played a prisoner in an orange yeah. room. You could have been my guard. All time. When I saw the picture of Roy in his prison uniform, I sent him an email saying, we should have known a life in comics would lead to this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so funny what they wanted to do. And both of you really don't have the stature for it. So. Well, hey everybody, thank you very much. Let's give a big round of applause to these two legends. And thank you for everything they get. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Lord. You guys are the best. The Talk Nerdy to Me Network. Thank you for listening.